0: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
1: You know, I took a hard reach on Kenny Clark. I knew the ball was going to be cutting backside. So he actually swam me. So, uh... The ball was outside on the perimeter. I turned around, I saw him sprint down the sideline. That guy's pretty fast. I didn't figure anybody was going to catch him. Well, what
2: did it look like to your watching him sort of separate?
1: Uh, he, He's really fast. I don't know what he ran in the 40, but he's he's fast. Like, it looked fast. It looked like people had angles, and it didn't
3: matter. <laughs> he's
2: really fast.
0: He's known as the dream,
2: the team, the dream. Special teams player of the week in the NFC. Hi, everyone. Zach Saban with you until 9 o'clock on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score we're broadcasting live from the Hyundai score studios brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. I figure we start out with one of the good stories from Halas Hall because there's a lot of negativity and rightfully so. Joining us now on the score guest hotline is Kevin Fishbane, who covers the Bears for the athletic The Score Hotline is presented by Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Before we get to the news of the day, Kevin, good evening. Tell us a little bit about this Jakeem the Dream. Where did he come from? And don't say the trade from Miami. How did he become such a vital weapon for the Bears this season?
4: Yeah, well, Zach, this is somebody who, when he got into the league, you know, he was kind of known for being this, uh, the human joystick, right? Like this was his mo uh, when he, when he got to Miami, and the Bears got a very good look at that when he was here for joint practices in August. They saw that this, and, and what these personnel guys do is, you know, they they write these names down. They take a very close look at these players all the time. They're always. Scouting people always seeing if somebody's available. And when they brought him here, you know, look, I don't know when exactly the Bears knew they were not going to have Tariq Cohen. But clearly they needed to figure out something at punt return. And punt return was a revolving door last year uh, when, once Cohen got hurt and, and Ryan Pace makes the move. And, and you know, right now they're the, the, the third in the league in punt return. They have actually one of the best special teams, period. Uh, in the whole league, according to some of the analytics sites, and the nice thing that they've realized with Grant, it took them a few weeks, and unfortunately it took an injury to do it, is using him on offense. I mean, he shot out of a cannon, Zach. When he gets going, when he gets that first step speed, we all saw it twice, three times on Sunday night. If you count the 46-yard punt return, this is somebody that you got to be careful with how you use him. You have to pick your spots. We we were kind of familiar with that style with, with what we've seen from Tree Cohen but you know he's turned into a nice find.
2: Yeah, and when you play for Chris Tabor on special teams, you know they're going to use you correctly. I think you mentioned it, the the real eye-opening part of all of this has been the fact that Matt Nagy has incorporated him into the game plan and then you see Bill Lazor using him the way he has when he's calling plays offensively. Unfortunately, they they need more explosive weapons on the offensive side of the ball, and it's tough to get those weapons going, Kevin, when you start to take a look at the Bears offensive line and more issues that we learned about today.
4: Yeah, so you know, Larry Borum is the latest Bear to go on the on the COVID-19 list and Exactly. I mean, anybody who goes on the list, it's it's obviously, you know, it, it, it's a loss for the team. You, you know, your first thought with this situation, is, we're talking about a virus here. You obviously hope that he's okay and everybody else who is on the list is okay. But you know, with somebody like Larry Borum, these were really important for final games. And it's really important for the Bears to figure out where does he play best. You know, I thought he was... Really impressive considering the competition and the situation when he got into the lineup at right tackle. It's been a little more inconsistent of late, um, which is going to happen with a rookie fifth-round pick. Uh, But they loved what he brought them at left tackle uh, when they tried him out there in training camp. So is that going to be a better position for him down the line? They had an opportunity this week to try that, to say, hey, maybe he's our left tackle of the future, Tevin Jenkins our right tackle of the future. And of course, Zach, the caveat here is, you know, potential new coaching staff next year. All of this could change, and I'm not a big fan of of the snip, snap, snip, snap. The way that this this personnel staff, this coaching staff has moved guys around the offensive line. Um, you, you'd love to see a guy just find a spot and stick. And which is why these next four games would have been great for Larry Borum to kind of help solidify where does he play best? Is it the right side or the left side that could help you with Tevin Jenkins? Where does he? fit best with this offensive line because you go to next year's Zach, and you know james daniels is a free agent uh cody Whitehair has a big cap number for next year he costs a lot of money there's a decision that can be made there you know you're going to have borum and jenkins so you got to figure out what you have in them and these last four games are kind of important for that so you'd like to see Boreham come back as quickly as possible Talking pairs with Kevin Fishbane of The Athletic, and just sit tight. We'll get to
2: next year in just a sec, but I, I still want to talk about this year and some of the pressing issues. How awkward is it when you are interviewing players and talking to people behind the scenes, considering the rumors that are out there and have been out there since way before Thanksgiving? So everyone understands change and major change is coming to Hallis Hall. You have players that don't know if they're going to be a part of the future here playing for a coaching staff and a front office that they probably don't have faith in,
4: in terms of being here in the future.
2: What's that dynamic
4: like? You know, the the nice thing from our perspective is a lot of these guys Well, one, the, the people who have been doing this for a while understand how this works, right? They get it. And, you know, this is just the way, this is the life cycle of the NFL. The other thing to keep in mind as this is all going on, the rumors are swirling, the vultures are circling. Um, you're getting these anonymous quotes here and there. You're trying to figure out what's real, what's not. You know, the these guys are so wired to just focus on their task at hand. Like, it's amazing talking to football people over the years Um, that, you know, they might say some stuff here and there off the record. They might, you know, be a little bit more comfortable with it. But you talk about players and coaches who are, you know, they like they got to to play the Vikings on Monday and and they are so glued to that task ahead. Like, you know, I always think, I always kind of scoff at the idea of of a team tanking because in reality, yeah, there are, you can do some things organizationally, to set your roster up to struggle, but the guys who are playing, the guys who are coaching, you know, they're out there every day still trying to win, no matter what the record is. I understand that sounds cliche, and I can't stand cliches, but that's just been the reality from what I've experienced. And I'm sure, and, and you've obviously, you know, gone through this for a lot longer than I did covering this team, and and you you covered a couple coaching changes, so you know kind of what goes on now. And you know, again, some of these guys they'll 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 tell you how it really is. But the reality, too, for a lot of the players, Zach, is, you know, they've got a lot to play for in these last four games. I actually have a story coming out of the Athletic Tomorrow that goes into some of those players uh, who Jakeem Grant's one of them. You know, that's somebody who's a free agent. You know, Cody Whitehair, I mentioned his cap hit. You talk about guys who are going to be free agents. You talk about guys who want to make sure they're not cap casualties. You talk about guys who want to be a part of the team, who want to build their resume. You talk about coaches who want to build up their resume. Right? All these guys just want to try to win a couple games because there's also a self-preservation mode that comes in play. So I do think the way that a lot of these professional athletes and coaches are just wired um, makes it a little bit less awkward. But you do find yourself too, Zach, is you ask a question and they tell you about their focus and, and, and you you do legitimately believe them because this is just the way these guys go, that they're a little bit robotic in that way. But you step back and be like, really, you got to be going home talking to your friends and family like, what is happening here? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to this team? And that's where you find out who the professionals are. And the one thing you can say
2: with certainty, the Bears have played hard. They may not always play well. They may not have the best game plans. And there may be a lot of physical mistakes that sometimes get made, but they have played hard throughout all of this. Every single rumor that we've heard, uh, nearly on a daily basis since before Thanksgiving. Before we get to next year, Kevin, more than 100 players have tested positive since Monday with another COVID-19 surge. Roughly two-thirds of them are asymptomatic. And I bring that up because that's a big deal to the NFL chief medical officer,
4: Dr. Alan Sills, who spoke with reporters today. It's, it's one. situation where we saw this last year around this time right where the spread in the communities is kind of being reflected in the locker rooms and in the football buildings and yeah i saw a note from you know i think it was espn noted that a lot of the positive cases were community spread. It wasn't in the building. You know, you, you know, you, you go in, you go inside Hallis Hall, and you see signs everywhere. You see masks everywhere. I mean, there there are a lot of protocols. And now the bears are in kind of a intensive protocol. So, you know, Dr. Alan Sills and I know they're they're kind of looking to public health officials. They're they're trying to figure out how can we figure this out. And, and it's it's not. It's obviously again, it, it's reflecting America, right? You know, everyone's trying to figure out. Well, if you're fully vaccinated and you're feeling fine. You know what? What are the risks? What are the situations? You know, is it, it should it just be a blank thing that you're you're out no matter what? Or, or you know, there there weren't you know examples of on-field transmission last year, thankfully, and there haven't been this year. So can you make the argument that someone should play? On the flip side of that, if you're sitting in the locker room and you've got family members who might be immunocompromised, do you want to be sitting next to somebody who? you know, is tested positive, even if they're asymptomatic. Again, there's all these things that they have to sort through. And, and you know, again, if they can find a way to, um, you know, get negative tests and, and feel safe about it, you, you'd like to see this. Obviously, you'd like to see the numbers go down, but you also would like to see the, you know, this not kind of halt uh, the season and, and these guys find a way to continue to play with, with their full comments of rosters.
2: The only thing that we know for certain is that NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said today that there's been no consideration given to postponing any games this week despite the surge of positive tests. We're talking football with Kevin Fishbane, who covers the Bears for the Athletic. Can we move ahead to to next year? Because that's a big part of the conversation as we close out the final month of the regular season and I go back and we had Olin Cruz and Jason McKee on last hour Kevin and I brought up a quote from Jerry Angelo who by far and away the most successful football executive that the Bears have had at Hallis Hall this millennium and Angelo once said give me names don't tell me who uh, and what our problems are. Just give me solutions. I'm in the solution business, not identifying the problems. He pointed to the media and he said, you guys do a great job of identifying our problems. How about a few solutions? And I asked Olden Krutz, so g- give me a solution. He mentioned Nick Saban. I asked Jason McKee. He mentioned Todd Bowles. You've been at Hallis Hall and seen this thing spiral out of control now over the last few years. What do you think if 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 George McCaskey sat you down and said, "I just want to pick your brain from an outsider's perspective"? What do you think we need to
4: fix this? What would you tell yeah, him? Yeah, well, I'd say first off, George, I appreciate you talking to me. We haven't heard from you in <laughs> such a long time. It's nice of you to have uh, have a little chat. that um, I think you you go look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. You go look at the Baltimore Ravens. You look at the Green Bay Packers. You look at some of these teams that have been able to sustain success, success. And obviously, the quarterback is a big part of that. But especially with Baltimore, you're looking at a team that has drafted really well, that has done a great job with compensatory picks every year, that is a deep enough team that you think about all the injuries that they have this year. The most injured team in football in the right in the playoff hunt. So you talk to people that are familiar with the way that organization works. You can talk, you know, you can talk to Ozzy Newsom, talk to John Harbaugh, talk to Eric DaCosta, you know, go to Pittsburgh, talk to the Rooney family. Talk about what, you know, what did they identify in Mike Tomlin, right? Because I, I think, Zach, if, you know, everyone for the last two or three years, it's like, oh, let's go find the Sean McVay. If I'm the Bears, c- could you find the next Mike Tomlin? Can you find the next John Harbaugh? Could you find the guy who's just going to be a, a, a leader? Uh, and and to find that guy, you need to find the guy to find that guy. You need to find the right whether it's a general manager or president of football ops. You need to you need to find the right people. So so if I'm George McCaskey, I'm talking to the organizations that do it right and have had consistent winners, have consistently avoided having the dysfunction the Bears have had, and and, and have had drafted well, uh, and, and are just always in the thick of it and don't end up with you know, all the double-digit losses that this Bears team has had. You know, so I, I start there. I, I go have conversations with those people and, and try to understand what they've identified to, to make things work because, like, you, you just – you've reached a point, Zach, where the, what you've done since Jerry, Angela, and Lovie Smith has not worked. So you have to drastically change the way you go about hiring – if, uh, you know, assuming you're going to be making some big hires. And to do so, I think you talk to the organizations that have, haven't have had to do this because they've been beacons of stability in this league.
2: So many of the organizations that you're talking about, you know, Green Bay went out and they have a former football man in Mark Murphy in charge of the entire organization. Now their ownership structure is very different from that at Hallis Hall. Baltimore, initially with Ozzy Newsom, had a Former football player in charge of the whole thing and when I look at Detroit it seems to me like the Lions had that very hard discussion last offseason and they brought Chris Spielman into the mix and he's that point man do the Bears need a former Bear in that position as head of football operations
4: I don't think they need a former Bear. I mean, they're fortunate enough that they have a lot of former players that would certainly suffice. You know, obviously the Trace Armstrong report uh, that, you know, you and I talked about on Sunday morning. uh, You you, you look at a guy like a Gary Fensick. um, You know, they're not short of of people who have, um, you know, would would have very interesting views on, on what to do next. You know, the guys that you just had on earlier right, and the way they watch the league and see how it's evolved. That doesn't have to be that person. I would like, you know, like you know, they brought in Ernie Corsi six years ago. You know, we all saw what the result of that was. Well, I would like to see Jordan McCaskey, you know, you know. It's so funny, too, Zach, because this is a team, this is a franchise that cannot stop talking about the past. It's all they talk about is 1985, right, 1963, you know, Ditka, and, and, and Walter Payton, and, and, and you know, the greats. You go down the line, the Hall of Famers, right? We know mm-hmm. the history of this franchise. They love the history of the franchise. And I, I, I somewhat mock it sometimes because it's been so long since they've been able to have a consistent winner. Yet, for some reason, they have not, you know, tapped into that alumni base when it comes to involving people in football decisions. So, you know, if you find the right person. But I do think, Zach, it's about finding, you know, you know, maybe some one of those people I just mentioned helps George McCaskey find a present of football operations, right? Find some, you know, they they, they, they help with the process. You know, they're, they're part of a group that, that oversees it. That They're part of a group that maybe does the interviews, right? Maybe someone like Olin Krutz or Jay Hilgenberg uh, should be helping with the interview process uh, as opposed to, you know, maybe them those people kind of being listed as as guys to take that job. But in any way, I just don't think there's anything that hurts you by having those kind of conversations, letting those guys be involved in those types of discussions. Are you surprised that they haven't
2: reached out? And maybe they have, and we just don't know about it, but it doesn't seem that way. Because when you look around the league, there are many former Bears and former Bear employees who are in high positions of power with other teams. You know, Chris Ballard has done a nice job in Indianapolis, for example. Ron Rivera, now the head coach in Washington after doing a nice job in Carolina. Are are you surprised that it doesn't seem as though uh, they have taken advantage of some of the bright minds that have been in their organization in the
4: past? No, absolutely. You know, like, I was at the Bears 100 celebration, Right, like I saw the way this team, you know, care, you know, cares about and talks about and wants to keep talking about the past. So, like, why not, you know, talk to some of those guys and involve them in certain ways? And those are just players, as you said. They've got to, They've had enough people come to the building who have had very important jobs in this league. And you know, I don't know if it's a situation where George McCaskey and Ted Phillips have wanted to distance themselves. I don't know if it is a, you know, listen. The NFL is an ego-driven league. There's a lot of egos. So I don't know if it's a situation where they want to prove that they don't need somebody who played for the team or who coached the team or who was in the personnel office to be part of it. They can, that they're smart enough to go find somebody on their own. But guess what? This is also a results-based business. And we have a lot of results over the last decade plus that shows that what they've done has not worked and that they need to figure out a better way to do it. And they went about that without involving former P- P- members of the of the organization. So maybe that's part of the, the the change moving forward. Yeah, it's peculiar. Hey, Kevin, thank you so
2: much. Always appreciate the time. All right, thank you, Zach. Kevin Fishbane, who covers the Bears for the Athletic, sharing his thoughts with us. I know you guys have thoughts. 312-644-6767. We will get your thoughts next. And then coming up, oh, in about 20 minutes from now, we'll pivot to the Bulls. Can they regain what made them special before this COVID outbreak when they resume play on Sunday night? We'll ask Cody Westerland. 312-644-6767. 312-644-6767. Zach been with you until 9 o'clock on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.
0: This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. Always been around
3: and, you know, I don't see it going anywhere anytime soon. Um, as far as, you know, how everybody's been handling, I think, you know, everybody's doing the best they can do, you know, and, and trying to make sure everybody's safe and, you know, prepared and understanding, you know, why we have to do certain things, you know, in a certain way. And that's just, you know, to try to protect us, protect, you know, we that work here, you know, not not just the players, but, you know, you got staff, you got a bunch of people that work here and come here every day to, you know, earn their earn their checks. So, you know, as far as the protocols go, you know, we, we, we all have to abide by our rule and, and uh do do what we need to do to know try to keep this as safe as possible and and, you know not you know have a big outbreak and spread and just you know he said just try to protect one another.
2: That's Bears linebacker Alec Ogletree you can say that really for our entire country and the world right now more than a hundred NFL players have tested positive since Monday roughly two-thirds of them are asymptomatic according to the NFL chief medical officer, Dr. Alan Sills, who says that the others have symptoms so mild that they might not have sought a test in ordinary circumstances. So in a way, the NFL is ahead of most because of uh, the constant testing that they do. Now the owners and players are talking about potential options to see how you... uh, you handle this going forward. Current protocols allow players to return after two negative tests within a 24-hour period, but it's possible that the two sides could agree to allow people to come back sooner if they remain asymptomatic. Again, we're talking about vaccinated players who test positive. Zach Zaidman, with you until 9 o'clock. We're about 10 minutes away From Talking Bulls with 670thescore.com's Cody Westerlin. Until then, we're talking to you at 312-644-6767. What would you like to see the Bears do this offseason? And I know the easy, get rid of everybody, but instead of that, what kind of solutions would you like to see? How do you fix this? What would you like to see the Bears do? Let's start with John in Shorewood. Hi, John. You're on the (laughs) screen. Hi, oh, hey, Zach. How are you? I'm okay. What's going on? Good. Good. Good.
5: Haven't heard your voice on the radio in a while. Um, I was going to go a different direction. Um, I have a question for you, really quick. What are the Bears worth? A lot of money. But uh, three, three to five billion.
2: They're one of the uh, most top three. Uh, I don't know if they're top three, but they are uh, one of the, the the top franchises in the league in in terms right. of money. And, but it would be right, even more see. if they're able to get a new stadium.
5: Right. So this isn't about like being cheap and that kind of talk. i I I just don't I don't know how important winning is to them. I mean I'm sure they want to win, but I don't know how important winning is when so it doesn't really affect the bottom line. I mean I mean I, I, I mean, since since. And since we love to pass, since the Dixie era ended 26, 27, or well, 29 seasons ago, I don't think they've been to the playoffs eight times. So, you know, years of futility, but, again, it has not affected the bottom dollar. So I, 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 I don't know how important winning is. I mean, you're, you know, they're, 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 they are a charter franchise. They're the Chicago Bears. I, I feel like if they, wanted to get, they really wanted to get it right, they could. But I just don't know how important winning is to this franchise. When you know you, you you know you you own the Chicago Bears again, a charter franchise in the NFL, and it doesn't really affect the bottom line. So uh, it seems like organ- and, and there's been some love here. Organizations like the like the Packers, where you know they've had back to back Hall of Fame quarterbacks, which they saw a difference in the world. But it seems like organizations like that, it just seems like winning. Winning is, winning is important to him. Um, so, again, I mean, I, I hope this makes sense. I, I, I just don't know how important winning is when, is when the, no matter, win or lose, and I talked about their playoff utility since 93, win or lose, I mean, it, it's still a top-five franchise in the NFL.
2: Thanks for the call, John. I appreciate it. Forbes has the Bears valued at uh, just a tick over $4 billion the seventh uh, richest franchise in the National Football League. The Cowboys have the highest value at six and a half billion, New England next at 5 billion. The Giants at 4.8 billion, The Rams same deal, and Washington at just a tick over 4 billion at 4.2. I, I think that there's a lot that you can criticize the Bears ownership for. I don't think it's fair to say that they don't want to win. Now, you're not there every Sunday with the family watching the games in the box, but I can assure you, having spent as much time as I spent around the Bears organization uh, as the sideline reporter and covering the team for the score, that. That is not the issue. The issue is not the Bears not wanting to win. I think it's very difficult to win in professional sports. I mean, it took the Cubs forever to be able to do it. I think there's a plan of attack that you need. And clearly that plan, the right plan, has eluded the Bears organization. This was a franchise that was 18 games above 500 when they fired Lovie Smith after a 10-win season. And after the 2012 season. And since then, they've just hired the wrong people. They've spent a ton of money. They've made a whole bunch of trades. Big trades. The trade for Khalil Mack. The trade to move up in the draft and, and take Mitchell Trubisky. The trade to move up in the draft and take Justin Fields. That's not the issue. The issue is poor moves they've not hired the right football people to fix the football team that's it i I, I can't make it any more simple than that that doesn't mean that they don't want to win it just means that they haven't gone about it the right way because they've made poor hires 312-644-6767 jim in racine jim you're on the score thank you um you
1: know two quick points um Uh, Kevin Fishbein made a a comment that the Bears seem, you know, focused, obsessed, pick a word with the past. I think there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, we constantly hear that the Bears are one of the core founding franchises of the NFL. I personally don't care about that. I I mean, does that make the Bears better than the Patriots because, you know, the Bears are a founding franchise? But to answer your question directly, Zach, you're right. The Bears have always get it wrong, and they get it wrong in a big way. I mean, these—they don't even get somebody. You would think the law of averages would at least give them a decent coach or a decent GM, right? Um, what I would do is I—I I would reach out to two or three former Bears, Fenske, Cruz and another—you know—a good—and I would say, "Listen, you guys, tell us what to do, and you handle the interview, right?" I've looked at companies a long time just in the course of my job, and when you find management teams that don't want to do that, you know, that they're very isolated, they keep all the everything to themselves, it's because they don't really think they need it. And I think that they don't have anything to learn from anybody else, the sign of arrogance or pride. And it's always destructive to an organization. And it really, I think, just breaks the heart of a lot of Bears fans that, We're constantly hiring the wrong people. I think you said it well. So that's all I have to say.
2: Thank you. Thanks for the call, Jim. I appreciate it. I think it's that simple. I mean, now the answer to fixing it isn't that simple, but ultimately I think you look at the, they've had two general managers since letting go of Jerry Angelo and they've been the wrong hires. You know, Phil Emery, that was obvious early on. And I think the Ryan Pace era, there've been some, some good moves that he's made. But I think more often than not, you're kind of spinning your wheels. And I think what's been frustrating is you're you're drafting someone in the first round. That person doesn't work out. Then you have to spend big money in free agency or make a trade in order to fix the the thing that didn't work out. And you just look at the, the construction of the football team. There's a lack of depth because you've had to spend money to overcompensate in the areas where you haven't drafted well. Uh... The coaches that he's gotten haven't wowed you. You know, John Fox came here. There wasn't a lot of talent, and I, I don't, I don't think John Fox put his heart and soul into trying to fix the Bears. And Matt Nagy was hired as a, as a guy who would fix the offense. And the numbers are the numbers. The, the Bears struggle mightily on offense. So even though the team has made the playoffs twice during his tenure. You're not really going where you need to go. Let's take a break. More football coming up next hour. But I want to pivot to the Bulls because there are a lot of questions that I have following this COVID outbreak and whether or not the team can regain eventually the form that we saw them have prior to the outbreak. Cody Westerland, who covers the Bulls for 670thescore.com, will join us next. Zach been with you until 9 on The Score.
0: This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago sports station. That's going to do it as Miami will dribble out the
5: clock in the final score. Heat 118 and the Bulls 92.
2: Yeah, the Bulls haven't played a game since that Saturday night loss in Miami because of the COVID outbreak. They've had two games postponed, yesterday's and tomorrow's. They are scheduled to resume action Sunday night against the Lakers, and what kind of Bulls team are we going to see? Zach Sabeman with you until nine o'clock on Chicago Sports Radio, six seventy the score. I can't answer the question, but someone who I think can at least offer uh, a semblance of an answer is six seventy the score.com's Cody Westerlin, who covers the Bulls for us. And He joins us now in the score hotline presented by Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Cody Thank you for joining us. I'm not asking you to predict, but can you take us through what's happening behind the scenes now to be able to put the Bulls back on the court?
6: Well, Zach, I got to say there's not a whole lot going on for the Bulls right now because I think you mentioned there in the intro, uh, Saturday is the last time they really did anything and that was play a game in Miami and get beat when they had seven guys in protocols for COVID and now they're up to 10. And the window should open for Kobe White, Javante Green, and DeMar DeRozan to all return, uh, hopefully, uh, for the Bulls' sake, before they host the Lakers on Sunday evening, like you said. But there's no organized team activities right now, no practicing, nobody breathing on each other at the Advocate Center and making this worse in any way, shape, or form. I'm not completely sure how much they have been allowed to do. I know some guys, individual guys, were able to get in the gym to do a little bit of individual work earlier in the week. But they're taking this as serious as possible, you know, because this is the worst outbreak right now in the NBA. The Bulls' hope, obviously, will be to gather as a team closer to Sunday and get a couple practices in would be their hope um, to do that. So we'll see how it plays out. But right now, they're just trying to make sure no one on the team gives anyone else COVID or COVID-like symptoms or lands in protocol because they have enough of those problems already. You know, it
2: sounds kind of insensitive, and I feel bad talking about the basketball implications Do we know if everyone's okay? I mean, meaning uh, that are, are the symptoms mild for most of the people who have tested positive, or are there some guys that are dealing with some serious issues?
6: As far as we know, there really hasn't been any sign of anyone dealing with severe symptoms or issues. Now, the Bulls aren't going to sit there and release all the information on every single player. They're not going to get specific with names, probably, and cite who's doing well and who's not. But Billy Donovan has said previously that uh, quote, we have a lot of guys sitting at home with no symptoms. Uh, so certainly that case for the Bulls is excellent news because that means not only are they healthier and have a good health outlook, it means they're probably more likely to get back to top form when they do return uh, to action. So uh, right now, I know Io DeSumo's mother tweeted that he's doing fine, doing good. So I think that's good news on his behalf coming from a family member. And Nikola Vucevic had referenced earlier, too, that Most guys have booster shots, so I think that's certainly part of the reason NBA has been pushing that so guys wouldn't um, get as sick. And for the Bulls, it looks like that's the case right now. Um, And certainly everyone crossing their fingers that that continues to be the case.
2: Talking Bulls in the NBA with Cody Westerland from 670thescore.com. Yeah, 97% of NBA players are vaccinated but it's just stunning what's transpired over the last few days. As of this morning, a total of 60 players have entered health and safety protocols this season, including 43 in the past two weeks, the Bulls going through uh, uh, the most severe of the outbreaks around the NBA. And then when you flip it back to basketball, what are the concerns regarding being able to recapture the the special unit that was on the floor for most of this season because the Bulls were one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference and there there was something building there
6: can you get it back after everything that they've gone through I certainly think they can get it back but it's going to take a little bit of time For being honest, I would expect Sunday night's game to probably be a little ugly for the Bulls um, because they'll still be shorthanded and the guys they they have back, I mean, in the best case scenario, we'd only have a couple practices or so at that point. You got to think, too, you know, like Kobe White's been out for a long time. We're sitting here on December 15th and this game against the Lakers won't be until Sunday. He's been in protocol since December 1st. So like he will have gone a long time between basketball action. Same thing for Javante Green in that case and DeMar DeRozan when he comes back a little bit more recent than those guys in the protocols. But it's not going to be easy. They're not going to have Zach Levine back probably on Sunday either. So they'll still be shorthanded most likely. And it's going to be hard to recapture that magic until everyone's healthy and everyone is playing pretty much every night and getting in a rhythm because that's what the Bulls did so well. You know, like they were pretty darn healthy early in the season, save for Patrick Williams' wrist injury. Like, They were really good in the preseason. They'd gotten together in training camp. Everyone mostly stayed healthy and played well in the preseason. That carried over right into the start of the regular season. We all saw that. That was the magic you're referencing. So uh, they can certainly recapture that. I just think it could be a couple weeks before we get back to the Bulls um, that we are used to early in the season, just being everywhere on defense, in rhythm, um, playing as well as they possibly can offensively with most all their players healthy.
2: Yeah, they've been a great story until this this outbreak hit. From what you've been hearing from the NBA regarding their conversations with the Players Association in terms of how to combat this surge of positive COVID tests, what's going to change? Do you think?
6: Well, I would expect, like they did at Thanksgiving, that the NBA around Christmas or even here sooner than that we will we'll ramp up testing, right? Like that's the one thing they can do. They have not mandated vaccines or booster shots, but they've made life really hard on players who, who don't get vaccinated, that 3%, like you mentioned, that hasn't gotten vaccinated. And pretty soon here, I think late this week, they're going to basically have a deadline for players to get a booster shot or face enhanced protocols and testing and restrictions. Uh, so basically the NBA, they don't want to go so far as to mandate something on the players' union, but they want to basically say, you know what? Um, if you're not going to get vaccinated, if you're not going to get the booster, go ahead and sit in your hotel on the road, and don't don't go out and hang out with your friends. Like you're not supposed to go into restaurants. So uh, I think the NBA thinks that they'll be able to get buy-in on the booster shots. And other than that, like I mean, it comes back to testing, right? And that's it's a double-edged sword a little bit because the more you test, the more positive pa- cases you're probably going to find. But if you don't test daily, that's how outbreaks happen, right? Like if you can find one guy and you know right away and can quarantine him, then it doesn't go to the rest of the team. So like they're just going to have to probably rough it out this winter. There's no way around it. And you know that, Zach, like neither one of us are doctors, but we can all read the tea leaves here. This is probably going to be a rough winter just by way of positive cases um, on everything in the NBA.
2: Cody, can we talk some basketball? Because uh, obviously we have to start off with the outbreak, how it impacts the Bulls and what the NBA can do going forward. But last night was a very historic night in the NBA because of what Steph Curry was able to do, setting the new three-point shot mark. What is his lasting impact on the game? And where does it go from here? Because you know that any kid that's learning how to play the game of basketball right now is trying to play it. The Steph Curry way. What does that mean for the NBA as we look
6: ahead? Well, he's revolutionized basketball. There's no doubt about that. We've all seen it. And last night, breaking the record at Madison Square Garden was a historic moment to just commemorate that. And the way it's going right now, I would expect more three pointers to continue to go flying up at the basket. And Steph's the best at all time at that. But Three's worth more than two. Everyone's as analytically inclined as they've ever been, basically, in NBA history. I don't see that changing a lot. So for something to change how the game's being played right now, I think it would have to come by way of rules changes, procedural changes, stuff like that. And we've seen the NBA toys all the time with rules changes and everything. Offense is down this year because they've allowed um, defenders to be a little bit more Um, aggressive on the perimeter, and offensive players can't jump into defenders and do non-basketball moves to draw fouls. That's been an absolutely um, great change for the NBA, just watching the playing style of games and everything. So this is a league that's not afraid to to tweak rules all the time, even from year to year. So unless you move the three-point line back, which you can't really do in the corners already of an NBA court at this point, um, I would expect to see a lot more three-pointers going up. And I I don't see that changing a lot, but like no one can do it like Steph, right? Like that's not the right recipe for every team. And I think that's kind of what makes the Bulls interesting too in this case is like they're a really good three-point shooting team. They're fourth in the NBA in three-point percentage, but the Bulls are second to last in three-pointers attempted per game. Like that's not what they do at a high volume rate. And that kind of is reflective of DeMar DeRozan. He loves being in the mid range and we've seen Zach Levine too. He's always been a guy that, Um, has appreciated the mid-range as a weapon, especially late in games, and talked about how that's important. So, like, it's a mindset of what works for your teams, and some teams are going to zig while others zag, but for the most part, I I really think we're going to keep seeing a lot of three-pointers go flying.
2: You bring up a great point about the Bulls, Cody, because you kind of saw the direction I was going in. Is that sustainable? Can you continue to play at the high level? I'm talking once the Bulls are healthy again and if they regain the form that we saw early on in the year. Can you continue to play at that high level if you don't shoot threes at the high volume that the best teams in the league
0: shoot it from?
6: I I think the Bulls can this year. Like, DeMar DeRozan is still... I mean, I guess you'd probably characterize maybe back half of his prime, but it doesn't look like he's slowing down this year. Like, he's been reinvigorated... Um, with with a new organization. And I just think a new opportunity to kind of lead this team and be the featured guy on a good basketball team after. I mean, I don't know how much he loved or didn't love playing in San Antonio, but there's no doubt that he was kind of out of sight, out of mind with the Spurs the last few years as they didn't have much success. So I think as long as DeMar DeRozan's playing at this high level, the Bulls can, can keep it up and Zach Levine's still a high-volume three-point shooter who makes them at a good clip, so I think there's probably some marginal things the Bulls can probably do to shoot a few more three-pointers. I don't know if it's sustainable as an organization for multiple years. I think you would want to hedge back to shooting more three-pointers, especially when you're shooting at that high of a clip um, percentage-wise compared to the rest of the NBA, but when you got a formula that's working like the Bulls do, I don't think there's any reason for them to really go out there and change it. And the one thing I would say, too, is that we talk all the time like the playoffs are a different animal no matter what sport it is. In the NBA, that seems to be like games slow down a little bit. They're played a little bit more methodically. You know, Other teams scout way better. They take away your best options, and sometimes it ends up in a mid-range game is more important in a playoff setting. And that makes the Bulls um, probably a tougher out in the playoffs even than they might be on a night-to-night basis in the regular season. So uh, I think the Bulls' formula is fine. It's not the same as other teams. But, you know, if you're not going to have the guys who are best at the other traits and attributes on an NBA floor, like go get the best mid-range guy and see how he can help you and fit the other players around him, And that's what the Bulls have largely done here, and they got to keep doing it.
2: Cody, on the way out, are the Bulls going to be – active when it comes to a potential trade or do you think they're just waiting for the guys that are banged up to get healthy
6: I think they'll they'll be active around the deadline because I think you have to be in the sense that like I said back half of DeMar DeRozan's prime probably Zach Levine pretty much in his prime and a golden opportunity really in a year in the NBA in which no one in the East is dominant, right? Like the Nets yeah. we thought might be the most dominant team and Kyrie Irving's not playing, and the Bulls have beat the Nets in both meetings this year so far. The Bucks have been pretty darn good lately, but have had a lot of injuries now, COVID problems, and we haven't seen the Bulls play them this year, so not entirely sure how they match up, but like no one's running away with the East at this point. Like the Bulls could reasonably go into any series in the Eastern Conference playoffs and be like, yep. This could go six or seven games, and this will be decided, you know, three or four of these games by two points on the last possession. Like, that's in play, and you get a couple bounces. Like, I don't think they're nearly as good as the Bucks at the Bucks' highest level. I think the Nets are better when they're fully healthy. Um, even if they don't have Kyrie, probably K- KD's just so good in a playoff setting. But they're going to have a chance in the postseason, and if you want to give yourself the best chance, you've got to shore up that roster and your hole's on it. And for them right now, Some of that's kind of backup big man. I mean, you could argue that it's starting big man right now. Nikola Vucevic has to show improvement because he's shooting around 40% and isn't getting the job done enough, but they're going to want more options in that sense. So I don't see any big move, but I would certainly expect them to be active And everyone in the NBA always wants more wings, right? Like rangy players who are long and can play both ways and knock down an open three. So another one of those guys, I don't know who it is exactly because the the, the trade market hasn't completely materialized just yet. Um, But I would expect them to be on the lookout for, for some of those types of guys.
2: Great stuff, Cody. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon.
6: Yep. Take care, Zach.
2: Cody Westerlin, who covers the Bulls. For 670thescore.com. Let's take a quick break when we come back. What's baseball gonna look like when baseball returns? We'll ask Bruce Levine next. Zach been with you until 9 on the
0: score. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch.